Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. It, believe it or not, Eric, it starts with the small things. Um, you know, when you enter someone's home, that's e- e- even if it is an ill, you know, or disrepair, I should say, it, it's their safe haven. I mean, where do you feel safest? Everyone always feels safest in their home. You've never met my ex-wife. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, not her again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> our, um, our mantra here is basically we, we take a, a page out of the, the medical textbooks and, and it's do no harm. So we want to never, we never want to leave a condition um, worse than when we got there. And that could mean anything. Um, we always, whenever we train our employees, we always throw back to the, uh, the glove in the bush, we call it. You can do an absolutely perfect project and the homeowner comes home and there's a nitro glove in your bush. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B, where we talk home improvement, healthy homes, remodeling construction every single weekend. Hey, Caroline. Hey, hey. Hey, everybody. And how are you today? Hi. So good to have everybody here. We have got one of your buddies in the house this time. We do. He's so gangster. I can't even tell you. Like, and I use that in like such a great term because he just, he is so good at what he does. And when you get somebody who's just an awesome, awesome person, human, and they're fantastic at their job. It just makes my life easier. So bring him on because he's just the bomb. Jeff Nowiski from All American Restoration. Welcome to Around the House. Hey, guys. How are you? Good to be here. Excellent. Well, let's hear a little bit about you because you are a rock star in the mold remediation world out there. And, uh, man, Caroline's like, we've got to have him on the show. And when she stakes the flag like that i know it's going to be a big deal (laughs) that's so awesome thank you guys so much for this um yeah i'll give you a little bit of my background um i've essentially been building my whole life i started building with my father when i was you know 10 or 11 years old um i came up through the ranks fresh out of high school went into the construction trades um where i learned massive infrastructure projects a lot of highway projects um capital improvement projects massive scale infrastructure bridges uh Tunnels. I spent a little bit of time at Ground Zero after cleanup, doing uh, tiebacks and shoring and things like that. I go back about 15 years ago. I was involved in an accident uh, on a construction site, and it, you know, basically ended my career in in heavy construction. Um, they kind of told me you would never do this again. And at that time, I was approached by a, a family member saying, "Hey, I've got this mold remediation business. Why don't you get involved? Like, you'd be a great fit with your knowledge of buildings and, and things like that." So. It was kind of just a natural progression, so to speak. Um, and during that time, uh, I'll never forget it. We were approached by a doctor um, who she's currently not practicing anymore. Um, she was based out of New York City. And uh, she said, look, I got a project for you and, and you've got you've to start 
helping these clients so we can get clients better. And back then I was taken back by that statement. I was like, you know, I just didn't know any better. I was like, how could your house adversely affect you that much that you're seeing a doctor because of your house and, you know, kind of being combative and the, uh, the badass I am as Caroline said, and, and being uh, ultra combative, I was kind of like, Eric's one of those too. We yeah. got, we got a whole bunch of badass in the house. It, it's kind of like saying to a doctor, someone, you know, highly educated saying to them, you know, you're crazy. What are you talking about? I'm not doing this. And after a while, her and I started to get along really splendidly when I realized that she was a true master of her craft. We did the project under her protocol and we, we passed post verification and, um, that was kind of the beginning. That's what really kind of set the stage for me. It was like, well, I could be helping people, not just going to work, but I could actually be helping people. We could be helping people collectively make people's lives better, make an impact on their life. It was that point where we just ran with the ball. Um, and now go back. So hold on, just back up one second. So for our audience, a lot of people, we all know what mold remediation is. Yeah. But a lot of people have no clue, right? right? What does that mean? So if you can kind of just give people an idea as to what mold remediation is, why you would ever need it, and why you would need any kind of cleanup. Sure. For that matter. Um, it, it's really strange that the, um, that, you know, sort of catchphrase mold remediation is, it, it's such a generalized statement. Um, what we look at ourselves as now is almost a wellness organization. Um, what we're doing that's, that's so different than the industry standard is, is we're going into homes based on obviously um, lab results that's taken from an independent consultant. Someone like Caroline comes into your home and, and gives us a report of a home. Basically it's a health report. It's a lab report for your home saying, here's what's wrong and where it's wrong and what the levels are. We then have a, a kind of a full quiver of really, really talented people here that didn't can take those results and translate them into a scope of work necessary to return your home to a normal ecology. So we take that data, we look at what, you know, we have coined now as primary and secondary drivers or needs and wants. And we say, look, these are your, your heavy hitter areas. Maybe it's a basement or a crawl space or an attic that's being adversely affected by bioaerosols. And maybe your secondary drivers were a, a water damage incident that happened underneath a kitchen sink or a overflow in a bathroom. That's a, a small secondary driver. We then interpret that data, um, send a proposal of work out to our client at that time, and we go in and perform remediation. Now to get more specific to what Caroline was asking, what is remediation? Um, it's essentially source removal. That's, that's where the industry really stops is source removal. There's this, this heavy drive towards removing the source of mold contamination. That could be um, a wet, damp basement, um, you know, drywall in, underneath your kitchen sink that's been compromised or in a bathroom or a leaking window or, or something like that. And, you know, once source removal is done and we've performed, obviously, our proprietary techniques to um, remove all the uh, residual that's left behind from the source areas, now we go for something that's just slightly different than what the industry's uh, teaching. We're, we are looking for the collateral damage. So we're not only looking for the source areas, we're looking at what how those source areas have adversely impacted the overall ecology of the home as a whole. And we're able to clean that up on a fine particulate scale. 
Um, the real uh, kind of interesting point of what we do is we take a little more of a preventative approach also um, in our scopes of work. So if you were to entertain doing a project with us and it, let's say it was your basement or a crawl space area that was um, being adversely affected by moisture intrusion or a damp condition, not only are we focusing on removing the mold, we're trying to ensure that you do not have a recurrence. So we're looking at not only exactly. removing the issue, but also yep. correcting the root causes. Let's face it, Caroline, better than anyone knows this, if you don't remove that smoking gun, so to speak, you're never going to clean up the, the collateral damage. So you're done. Jeff, it's, it's something that I see on social media. I'm in a lot of different home improvement groups out there. And I see it every time. I mean, this is a daily event that I see it. Somebody posts up the pictures of this horrible mold mess. Maybe it's a wall in the basement. Maybe it's they're starting the remodel in the bathroom. They took the tub out. It looks like there's it. somebody spray, spray painted it black and green just from the, the colors that are there. And their first thing on social media is to go, oh, I hit it with bleach or I hit it with concrobium, and now I'm good. And they off they go thinking that they've solved the problem. And quite frankly, in many cases, I look at it and go, did you just make the program, the problem Worse. bigger? Yeah. Yeah, you might have. And that's, I think, one of the biggest misconceptions out there for homeowners is that they think that this is going to be a 10-minute DIY project. And they're completely uneducated on the problem and the solution. I agree with that. I've been friends in college with Caroline for some time and um, probably going back to the onset of my career, actually. And and we've seen so many, for lack of a better term, ball drops in the industry. People doing mold remediation without proper engineering controls. Let's face it, engineering controls are paramount in remediation projects, just like asbestos or, or lead or anything else. Um, the engineering is what sets the stage for the entire project. And you know, seeing people entertain projects done by contractors where their engineering is not done correctly, um, you know, they, they're running the risk of, you know, potential cross-contamination to areas of the home that are not, you know, presently contaminated, especially with these people that are, are immune compromised or immunosuppressed or have chemical sensitivities or mold sensitivities. I mean, there's a full spectrum of things that could adversely affect one of our clients. And the idea is to mitigate that. It's all risk management. It's all risk management based. As a homeowner, what should homeowners be looking for? Many times they call in a professional. That doesn't mean they've got the right people on the job, but they've got somebody claiming to be a professional. As far as that engineering goes, what should homeowners be looking for when somebody comes on to that uh, job site that's their home to, to try to fix whatever problem they've got? Well, it, believe it or not, Eric, it starts with the small things. Um, you know, when you enter someone's home, that's e e even if it is an ill or disrepair, I should say, it it's their safe haven. I mean, where do you feel safest? Everyone always feels safest in their home. You've never met my ex-wife. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not her again. Sorry. <laughs> our, um, our mantra Ooh. here is basically we, we take a, a page out of the, the medical textbooks and, and it's do no harm. So we want to never, we never want to leave a condition um, worse than when we got there. And that could mean anything. Um, we always, whenever we train our employees, we always throw it back to the, um, the glove in the bush, we call it. You can do an absolutely perfect project and the homeowner comes home and there's a nitro glove in their bush. 
it, it just so it shows a very haphazard approach to a project when you see something like that. So mm-hmm. what should you be looking for? I think an overall competence um, when you're meeting the field technicians for the first time is probably the most important thing. Um, they should all have a very organic understanding of mold and mold remediation and, and water loss and biotoxins. And they should be able to speak the same language as our clients, so to speak. Um, some of our clients are as or more educated than even we are because they're right? it's all about immersion. They, they've researched yes. it. Oh my God, Eric, they know more. Like we come in and they know as much as we do. Correct. So For it's sure. training. It goes back to training, training, training. And you want your, your, anyone in your home to present well. You want to make sure that they're protecting surfaces. They're protecting flooring and walls and windows and your driveway and your lawn. And again, do no harm. You want to make sure you're utilizing the proper PPE. You're, you're utilizing Tyvek. You're utilizing masks or PAPR equipment. Um, their containment, their containment should be non-breachable. Um, you should not be able to easily access, you know, egress or ingress, egress back and forth through that containment. That should be for professional use only. Um, you want to see air scrubbers. You want to see your contractors maintaining, I always say correct pressurization. Um, negative pressure is something that's thrown around very loosely in the mold remediation industry. And quite frankly, it only fits suit about 50% of the time. If even that, it's applicable. Mm. So you yeah. want to make sure they're versed in pressurization and pressure changes, and they've got a, a good understanding of building science and how buildings convect, how they breathe, different styles of building. You know, how we build here varies very, very greatly from how someone builds in California or New Mexico or Texas or Canada. Well, it's interesting you bring that up, Jeff, because like, so Eric's in Portland. And so we always talk, him um, and I, Portland, like, it Oregon, is so vastly different. different. Oh my yep. God, like the stuff, just even what we call things here is different than what they do. And it's not like we're out of the country or in the U.S. It's just amazing how it's different. And I think that's that's a hard part. Um, us operating at a, uh, again, we're very boutique. You know, we're, we're a very specialized company. And operating on a national scale, that was, that was something that brought a lot of complexity to what we do. Because we had to teach all of our technicians different building styles from the, you know, heavy cementuous products that they use down in the Southeast to Florida in Florida to California, where they're using shear walls and seismic countermeasures and, and, Mm. you know, advanced building techniques where the walls are 16 inches thick. I mean, these are to explain to your technicians how to reverse engineer all these different components found spread across the nation. It's, that's a whole level of complexity in and of itself. Yeah, you walk into Florida and you're like, where did all these concrete block walls come yes. from? Yes. And they're everywhere down there where in the Pacific Northwest here where I'm at, you might see those in a 50s or 60s house, but generally that's not going to be seen anywhere around here because for us in water mitigation, it's a nightmare, especially in basements. So yeah. it's just one of those things that uh, that we don't see that much of it. No. And, and you see, like, I mean, that's a great point. You get from somewhere to South Florida and you go all the way up to somewhere like Montana or Wyoming, where they're literally still building log cabins. That's, that's their cookie cutter home up there. So just to figure out the whole building dynamic of a log cabin and how it breathes and how it works and how it moves and how to remediate it correctly and not destroy the finishes. And these are all things that we're constantly learning and evolving and adding to our quiver. So it's, it's just a constant learning experience for me. Um, like I said, we consider ourselves evolutionary because we're always 
learning and adapting and changing. And quite frankly, you have to, because I think if you let yourself go stale to what we say the industry has done, the industry's gone very stale where it's teaching very linear um, thinking in, in, instead of diversifying its technicians. It, it's a, a very linear focus on this is how it's done, but they don't explain to you those subtle differences that can occur nationally that can really change the whole way you pro- you um, develop your entire project. And every house, Jeff, right? We work on never is a project the same. Like we can never be bored in our job because as much experience as we have, and Jeff and I have been in the industry the same amount of time, like I'll call him and be like, I just saw this. Like, and we're talking, Eric was involved with this. Remember we were talking about the steam shower that was going in the radon pipe. So (laughs) Jeff was doing the remediation on that job. So I told Eric what happened. And he was just like, cause he's the steam shower guy. He knows everything about kitchen and baths that you could possibly imagine. And then some. So I told him about this whole steam shower being orchestrated and dumping into the radon pipe and the radon fans being inside the building structure. I'd never seen that actually, because all our radar fan radon fans out here are always outside the structure. Correct. Here we see very few. There's a couple that are inside and that's, those are the, the ball drops that we always talk about or the building busts where we're dumping essentially steam, you know, condensation, wastewater, down a radon pipe. Well, where is it going? It's going to the basement. It's terminating below your slab. Okay. Yeah. Well, what's it mixing with? Organic material. Well, and then what happens? Well, the radon fan comes back on and pulls all that organic material, which is now mold, back up the radon pipe. So it's it's things like that that the industry just I right now I don't think is educated enough on is looking for those those build busts, those ball drops. Um you know, they're still looking for the simple smoking guns. Oh, you've got a bad window flange. Oh, you've got a overflow yeah. under a sink. They're not looking for things that could potentially be catastrophic to a building. And no one would engineering look problems. Well, I was looking at that that one with the radon pipe as an example is that they tapped into the side of that to do the flush line for the steam shower. And I'm like, okay, that radon fan is pulling air out of that. It's not pulling it out of the below slab now the easiest path. It's like a straw that has a hole in the side of it. You're not drinking that shake with a broken straw. It's grabbing whatever out the side is, which would be out the steam shower. That's right. So it's not grabbing radon out of the below slab. It's pulling it out of the shower system. Yeah. It, oh, path of least, least resistance. So exactly. who knows what type of biological activities associated in that area. And now you've got yeah. you know, essentially in a pipe that's not supposed to have any type of, of uh, you know, condensation inside of it. Now you've got a pipe with warm water, dumping down it to subterranean grade and then being pulled back and forth up and down this pipe. So it's, we're, we're, it, it doesn't really matter what part of the country we're in or what building style it is. It's, it's these, it's essentially these build busts or these, for lack of a better term, shoddy, you know, contracting work that's being performed. That's ultimately catastrophic to some homes. It's not even adversely affecting them. It gets to the point where it's actually catastrophic. Yeah, it's amazing. And and a lot of that falls down on the states. I don't even give homeowners and 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 a lot of contractors grief on that. It is so interesting when you go state to state how some states really watch contractor licensing. And other states go, "Ah, we don't care who's doing what out there. We'll let the cities or the, you know, municipalities around there, the, you know, townships, counties, whatever, deal with this stuff." But 
state to state, there's some states that make it super difficult and there's education and all this stuff. And there's uh, other states that tell homeowners, <laughs> good luck. Hope you find Eric, somebody. Tell good. him about the differences. We were looking up the differences between licensing in New Jersey and Portland, where he is. Oh my God, we are so behind the eight ball. So just give him an idea about Portland or the audience that we should be saying. Yeah, like you know how State of Oregon has their own contracting uh, licensing board here. So if you're a handyman, you have to be licensed like a contractor. That handyman can't do electrical, plumbing, anything that one of the other specialty trades do. So the handyman can go in and maybe switch out a light switch. That's as much as they can do. They can switch out a faucet. That's about as much as they can do. That handyman even can't really even do a water heater. You have to get a plumber to do that if you're paying to do that. And so you've got a lot of this stuff that's fairly well regulated. And we've got an organization here, which is that CCB. They are just brutal. I mean, they're on social media. They're looking for people advertising. And I mean, they're dropping $5,000 fines on people left and right that are not doing stuff correctly. If you don't give, if, if, if you're a homeowner and you're like, man, I filed a complaint against this contractor and you didn't give the right lead paint form out, guess what? That's a thousand bucks. And so they're really hard on people, but we see a lot less contractor issues because you've got somebody on it. And then I see what's going on in New Jersey and probably 15 or 20 other states out there where it's just a free for all. Yeah. I agree with that. And it's crazy because we get, it's funny you say that because we get approached all the time. They're like, again, operating nationally, it's very difficult because we have clients that call and say, well, in my state, I don't have to test into a project. I don't have to test out of a project. There's no licensing. There's nothing. We're like, well, listen, we nationally adhere to, you know, New York city guidelines. We require you have your project tested in. We require you have your project tested out. Why? Quite frankly, it's it's the right way to do things. It's just from an ethical standpoint, it's the right thing to do to give your client peace of mind. Look, not only did we co-witness that there was an issue with the home and you've got this, this hard data-driven evidence in your hand, we want to give you that same data-driven evidence on the back end of our project saying that we successfully completed this project. It's a normal ecology now. Not just saying, yeah, we're done. Great. Have a good day. You're fine. And taking our word for it. That's not how we conduct business. Well, it's interesting. I've been uh, doing a lot of speaking on the national stage to builders and remodelers and stuff with the NHB. And one of the things that I've always talked to them about is if you're a builder out there building new homes nationally, why are you not doing testing on VOCs and mold in that house before the homeowner moves in? So that way, if you're out there going, hey, I'm building you this, this healthier, more efficient home, why are you not proving that to the homeowner just so you can say, hey, here's the test, you know, maintain it, I'm make out. sure you don't put the rest <laughs> right. of the stuff in, mic drop, I'm out. Yeah, it's, that's something, believe it or not, that um, I still do a lot of technical advising for our sales team. So when we have super technical projects, I usually get involved just to kind of guide the client through what's going on. Um, You would not believe how many times we get asked that question. Well, I bought a brand new home. Why didn't anyone test to let me know that that this issue was going on or that I had a damp basement? Why didn't they put a French drain in while I had the basement exposed? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't? 
quite frankly, I can't give you that answer. It's, it's accepted locally. And I think that's a, probably the biggest part of what we do. I'm, I'm definitely more in the, the operational capacity of the company. Um, where my partner, Mike, he's on the, the national level. He's doing something that I think this industry needed for a long time. And it's just point blank awareness. He's bringing awareness to the masses saying, look, mold is a problem. Biotoxins are a problem. Um, homes being built incorrectly are a problem. Homes being allowed to sit for six months unclimatized with no roof on them and then just build like nothing's wrong with it. That is a problem. So it really is in a sense, bringing a voice to the voiceless, the people that they, they come to you and they're just, you're their last hope. They, they don't know where to turn anymore. They don't know what to do. They're just being told by everyone. Oh, it's fine. Oh, it's fine. Oh, it's fine. That client knows factually it's not fine. So, and the real estate agents, like, and so Jeff knows this because Gina, his wife, is a real estate agent. And obviously, she's probably not working under the standards that regular people do. But the real estate agents just want to make the sale. They want to pass it through. They don't encourage testing, especially in the real estate market we're in right now. It's just drop cash, pay for the yep. house, and you get what you get. And that's a huge mistake. I've been telling my clients, you cannot buy a house without an inspection. I don't care what you do. Yes. You cannot get stuck with this responsibility because you will not be able to afford it. You'll be stuck with a house you can't live in. And then where are you? You're, you're bankrupt. And that's, I also say, don't buy. I'll take that one step further. If you're buying a house from a house flipper and it's got a finished basement that's just finished, walk, walk away. away. Yes. And it's, it's, I wish she was here because she would probably want to comment on this. It's, it be awesome. It's so funny because, she always says, you know, up until I met you, I was just selling homes like every other realtor. She's like, knowing what I know now, morally, ethically, I know when something's wrong with the house and I know I've got to take my clients elsewhere. And it's, it, it's crazy. And even the people in her office that, you know, who I, obviously these people have had their eyes open, you know, both by myself and, and my wife on what's going on. And, and there is this lack of accountability in the real estate industry. And to see some realtors embrace that and say, I can't ethically do this to my client. I mean, that's incredible. It's good. That's, that's where the, the whole process really starts. Of, the whole process of how you buy a house to me over the last, I'd say 10, 15 years has baffled me. What they look at as importance is zero importance. Yes. But if you have a mold problem, a water problem, a structural problem, an engineering issue, you're done. That house should be corrected before you ever purchase it. And Jeff and I agree on this. It's yeah. Just. Yeah, absolutely. It's in it. That's another thing that's interesting too, is the, the testing that has to happen in some States and other, the rules are so different. Like to buying houses. It's fascinating here in Oregon. Every house has to have a sewer scope done when, during the time of the sale, they literally, as part of that process, you do not get away with not having a sewer scope done all the way out to the sewer. That's part of the process. No matter what, you're not getting around it. Wow. It, it's kind of funny because yeah, I'm glad you said that because it kind of segues into something that's so, so super important. And Caroline touched on this. It's like that, that home inspection. I mean, that's supposed to be buying you peace of mind for a very, very large investment. I mean, 
let's just be clear. The biggest investment you'll ever That's make. That's right. So looking at that, yes, you've got your home inspectors that will push the sale or crush the deal. And again, just being around my wife and listening to her and her, her business capacity and what she's doing, everyone always asks, well, don't, can't you give me like three or four different home inspectors and like we could just pick the one that we need to use? She's like, no, I'll give you one because he does things by the book. He's there to protect you. So I'm going to give you my one referral for a home inspector that I know is going to do the right thing. And honestly, I, I know him personally. He is one of the most comprehensive home inspectors I've ever met. I mean, his reports are 30, 40 pages nice. of, of good, hard, comprehensive, conclusive evidence all, all the way to the point where if he sees something that's a little, let's call it sketchy in a basement area or an attic area, he makes recommendations. Look, you should get a indoor environmental professional in here and co-witness what I'm seeing. Like this is important for the health of your family. He doesn't make grand, you know, speculative statements. He says, look, get someone yeah. in here and collect the data. Let's let's get you to buy this. See what's right happening. Way. That's right. That's right. That's like when I bought my house here a couple of years ago. Of course, they had the inspection done on a deal that had just fallen through and we came in right afterwards, which was awesome. But I looked to that report after I had done my own. And I'm like, oh, that guy caught something because I couldn't get back into that area of the crawl space. Because my crawl space is 18 inches and there's, you know, everything underneath and there's tight. Yeah. But in that corner, I couldn't get back there. And he did. And he ended up putting his scope around the corner so he could look along the foundation and saw that there was a crack over there. No big deal. I couldn't get I didn't want to crawl under the deck that's also 18 inches, you know, 18 <laughs> inches high to go do that. But it was the same kind of thing where I'm like, I found a good one. Yeah. Because so many other ones out there, they're just like, they do their electrical tests. They do their little stuff. They do a bunch of visuals, but uh, I can't tell you how many times I've missed it. And then, of course, another story that Caroline and I were joking with probably six months ago is that I was in this basement one time, and the, Caroline, this is that crack where the realtor put up the oh, sign. Yeah. There was a crack I could put my hand in, in the concrete foundation. I mean, it's a three-quarter inch <laughs> to an inch gap. <laughs> solid foundation break 1920s home and the realtor put up a sign that said this crack has not caused the homeowner any issues for the last 10 years they've lived here <laughs> and i'm like give me a break you gotta be kidding me unbelievable i was in there doing an inspection on it because i was helping out a buddy's uh foundation company and that's where i saw it and i'm like look this thing's moving around you gotta fix yeah. it yeah yeah and there's a lot of cost-effective ways to do it, but those are the things that finding that right inspector on that new house, you got to do your due diligence because it's it's nightmarish if you don't. You do. But the problem becomes, so even in my circumstance, and Jeff's going to know who this is, I was looking at a house. We It definitely had mold problems to begin with. I brought in Jay Stake, who's the president of the Indoor Air Quality Association. For anybody who doesn't know who, who Jay is or the IAQ is, it's the biggest organization we have that governs indoor air quality. So I'm going to go to the best of the best. I went to bring him in. The real estate agent said to me, no way are you doing a three to five hour inspection in this house. Forget it. The deal's done. She canceled the deal. She was on the phone with Jay. Jay saying, listen, it's my license. It's my certification on this particular job. I have to do the inspection according to how I see fit for legal reasons, because if I give a bad 
recommendation or something's not right, I'm liable. She didn't care. She, as a real estate agent, she was like, I'm going to find someone who's naive and stupid and doesn't care about XYZ mold problem that clearly existed. You could see it growing on every beam and rafter. So, you know, what do you do? So here we are trying to get the best inspector, but people like us, we do. And then the real estate agents botch the job and go after the naive and take advantage of people. It's hard. Yeah. I see this so many times with, um, you know, obviously I hear the horror stories from my wife and, you know, listening, to, you know, with the home inspectors, obviously I just, so many people too, it's just lack of education. It, there's so much lack of education. It's like people are walking around, maybe it's their third, fourth home purchase. They're walking around and going, gee, I, I hate the drapes. I don't like the wall color. <laughs> Meanwhile, the roof is half missing. The deck's falling off. The foundation <laughs> is bowed three inches. And they're like, I don't like the paint color. I, I try, I tell all, and we get this same question from our clients. I want to buy a home. I'm going to move. I want to buy a home. I want to make an investment in my future. I either want to completely gut and, and create my own wellness space, or I want to build from the ground up. What should I do? Oh, that's something you, you could, you could stay tied up in that conversation for there's some clients we've been in that conversation with for years and, Amen. you know, explaining to them what you should look for instead of the paint color and the, and the drapes and the carpet, like, you know, the things that are, are going to be big ticket items that could have major, major impact on the overall ecology of the home. If they're not already years down the road, trying to drive that point home is, is often very complicated. Yeah, it's it's brutal. And I think, you know, that's the part right now that just drives me insane with like Caroline said about the the home buying process at this point is really rough. And and I think it's going to come down to to either the the real estate professionals out there saying, OK, we are going to do something that is for the good of the home buying people out there. And quite frankly, the sellers, too, because they should know better to be selling a house trying to unload their garbage yeah yeah Yeah. their garbage onto some innocent person i think we've got to do something that really kind of levels the playing field a little bit there because to me it doesn't make sense not to to, to force people to not get through that part of the process i agree i agree completely and i'll be the last guy to say government needs to get involved but in this case i think we need to have something to protect some homeowners out there yeah it's the issues have become systemic. It's it's grown into the insurance industry as well, where there are insurance companies that are or or will not write mold coverage under their policies exactly. whatsoever. So, so these people wow. are totally not covered. And I, I tell my clients all the time, after you get your homeowner's policy, make sure you call up and try to get a rider. Because what they can do is it won't be in the generalized policy, but you can add a rider to it. Correct. And there's one thing I'm going to guarantee to you, and you will all say the same thing. You're going to have a water problem at some point in a house that's got water infiltration in every envelope, kitchen, bathroom, laundry room. I mean, it's a guarantee. You're having a water problem. Yeah. So you need some kind of protection. I agree with that completely. Um, when we were buying our home, uh, we were initially writing with one insurance company and, you know, the, the insurance broker was obviously, she's known my wife for many, many years. And, uh, I was like, you know, what's, what's my mold coverage? That's what I got. I got silence. He's like, what are you talking about? There's no mold coverage in his policy. I said, then find me. Jeff, there's my picture. 
Awesome. Oh, that's incredible. I want a mold rider on my <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. Just put a note on your crack. <laughs> no <laughs> pun intended. I can't believe that. <laughs> I can't but that's something I definitely have to show to my wife. She'll she'll be kind of blown away by that. I'm gonna tell her start leaving little post-its everywhere. You, yeah, you and you great. can see the other yeah. thing that concerned me as much on this house is look how they whitewashed all the foundation stuff down there. Yep. What were they trying to hide by literally priming everything down there? Well, that's that's something that you brought up that it's it's crazy, but I advise all my clients the same way. They're always like, well, when looking for a basement, what should I look for? I said, honestly, one, it's never been built. Don't look for a finished basement ever. You do, if someone's got a finished basement, what are they hiding? Walk you away. see raw walls, raw floor, exposed mechanical. You don't want yep. anything hidden in the basement, believe me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've done the wildest finished basement I did was on a houseboat. So it was all under the waterline. But even at that, that's, I want to see every that was a that was a houseboat in Seattle that was pretty good. That's pretty interesting. So that's pretty doing a basement in a houseboat was pretty, pretty crazy. They actually poured that out of waterproof concrete and did it when they built the houseboat and uh put it down, had a porthole window in it that was just like something out of you know below water. And it was a finished basement. It was pretty cool. That is neat. I would like to see. You want to talk about having not, I have not seen it all. I definitely have not seen that ever. <laughs> <laughs> I had a client that was asking about, oh no, I was on with Sirius XM and they were asking me about houseboats. And Eric's like, I'm like, that's so foreign to us. And Eric's like, oh yeah, I've seen like a ton of that's houseboats. Crazy. And I'm like, a ton of houseboats because that's what we have in the wow. area. You know, wow. <laughs> I would never ex- expected that. I've never, I've never been on a houseboat. That's so, and a houseboat with the basement, I thought you were getting ready to pull a really big joke or one line. No, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the one, there's one tool that you can throw away on a houseboat when you're remodeling a level. Wow. It I, doesn't I matter. I never thought of that either. You just go by square. Every, that's it. It's all square. It's yeah. all, everything has to be, you know, everything, wow. it, everything has to be square. The level you can leave it in the truck. You don't need it. Kind of makes the contractor's job easier. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So when you're hanging a wall cabinet, you're measuring from the floor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Everything has to be square. That's it. <laughs> yeah. First time <laughs> I was like, up. I don't know what to do. Exactly. Yeah. You kind of walk in and go, what do you want me to do with this? I've never seen this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's a whole other world when you have a, Hey, we got a little more water on this side of the boat today. So that the level is going to be going this way right? and you got a little more water in the, in the bottom on this side. And it's going this we'll way. Tank of fuel. We're listing a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit. Yeah. You're right though. So. That, I mean, that's what's cool about our industry is that the things that we get to see the different building styles and techniques and things like that. And I don't know, just, you know, explain to my guys like to, that log cabins have slip joints above the windows and the doors. And they're like, what do you mean yeah. slip joints? I'm like, well, the, the logs compress over time. It's got to be, the, or it would crush the doorways or the, the windows. Yeah. It's it, building is still so fascinating to me. I've never been bored by it. building architecture, engineering. It's just, it's something that I definitely geek out a lot in. So I, I, I go down a rabbit hole on YouTube a lot. Oh yeah. <laughs> just going to say like, tell some projects that are 
where it actually helped people. People can recognize, hey, that might be my scenario. Because I think everybody sits there and goes, well, you know, this isn't my scenario. I didn't get sick in my home. Why is this relevant to me? So, and it's relevant to everyone for many different reasons, but. It's, there's, there's two that stand out that, that are, are pretty unique. Actually, there's, there's a bunch that stand out. I mean, I I think what's so amazing about my project is, um, it's not the Google reviews. It's, it's, it's nothing like that. It's, it's the really personal connection that you make with your clients. Um, I'll never forget. It was, it was New Year's Eve this year and, uh, we finished a client's project six months before that. And she's immune compromised. She has Lyme disease. You know, she's definitely got a lot of underlying health issues going on and several failed remediation attempts. And we knocked it out of the park for her. We stayed on, we consulted with her during the building process, things like that. And, and it's just something we really pride ourselves on is, is they're not clients. They become family. It's our clients are with us for the long haul. She messaged me, New Year's Eve and, and just, you know, extremely long winded message of like, you know, she can't believe that she's celebrating New Year's Eve in her home. Um, she hasn't felt this way in years. She's able to spend time with her family and, you know, her, what's now her wellness sanctuary. It's those messages that that's what makes it worth it for us. But I think the two that super stick out is like the first one I ever did. It was with Dr. Sprouse, obviously. And, um, when I met the family, they all had um, picks in their bodies for wow. treatments, the whole family. Cool. And we finished the project. And to this day, this is going back, gosh, maybe 10, 11 years now. To this day, they still text me every Christmas. And to see them over mm-hmm. the 10 years, like their picks come out, their Lyme treatment's now working. Home is now a sanctuary. And it was... These are homes with systemic issues. These were not, again, the, you know, the leaky uh, pipe under the sink or the uh, discharge hose from a washing machine to let loose. This was the basement had systemic moisture intrusion problems. Um, countermeasures were put in place. The attic, you know, no ventilation in the attic. Um, it essentially smothered and everything in between over the years, just these little problems kept compounding and compounding. We got her back to wellness. Um, the other one, which is very, very unique, um, the gentleman was a CEO of a very, very large global company, um, and his daughter was uh, severely immune compromised, uh, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, Lyme disease. Uh, she was affected to the point of having adverse effects from light and sound. Wow. Well. When you do a mold remediation project, typically you're running air filtration devices, vacuum cleaners, rotary hammers, drills, saws. Mm -hmm. We performed the entire project in a crawl space and basement. It was probably a total of 5,000 square feet, including the HVAC removal, completely silent. She never knew we were there. We had to build soundproof housings out of low and high density foam around all our equipment with essentially check valve venting for the air so that we could soundproof all our equipment. So she didn't hear us during the remediation project. We took the entire HVAC system apart, three of them and all the ductwork with hand screwdrivers. Oh, 
So when I tell you our quality of care and our engineering ability, it's amazing. Is we yeah. think we don't even look at the box anymore. So I can't even say outside the box thinking. <laughs> forget the box. Forget the box. <laughs> We're box so sucks. far out of the box, it's, it's not even funny. But that that's the things we get to do where, you know, not only do we hear we made a difference, but we took something that literally no one else had the ability to do. They just walked away from the project and threw their hands up. We said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to figure out how to get your project up. And collectively between, you know, myself, my partner, Mike, our entire field staff of brilliant people, we're able to come up with these really amazing ideas. And we've all worked on these jobs. Like, and that's why I like when Jeff comes on, right. To show we don't work on the traditional stuff at all. We're seeing it from such a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the houses that we work on are um, unique and we've really got to navigate around this whole system to create something that we can do to improve health. Cause that is the goal. So totally, Jeff, to what, get are you, you what are you seeing out there right now uh, as the big common issues that homeowners should be concerned about in their own homes? Are there, I know, I know there's a thousand things they could be, but are there, a handful that you go, okay, these are the ones that I'm seeing is the, you know, maybe it's the ice maker, maybe it's the kitchen sink, but what, what are the, the problem areas that you're seeing that are causing some big problems these days? That's probably one of the best questions I've heard, Eric, really. Um, this is, again, this is not to, you know, come across obtuse or anything, but it's, it, it goes back to the contractor, just not having an understanding all the time of, of, correct building protocols or process or materials. So many times we'll go into an attic space that's completely encased in spray foam, but there's no ERV up there. We'll go into a crawl space that's obviously built with a high, you know, on a high water table, obvious signs of moisture intrusion, no dehumidification. You know, they've got it open to outside elements. They didn't seal the crawl space and dehumidify it. They didn't climatize it. Attic systems that are supposed to be open and vented, venting, soffit vents, roof venting, ridge venting, um, gable venting, power venting. We go into some of these roofs that are supposed to be vented roofing systems and they're completely smothered. Um, You'll see conventional insulation along uh, the floor system of the attic. You'll see it stuffed down into the soffit area. So essentially all the, the vented soffits are now completely encased. And then someone will come in and yep. just apply spray foam to the entire roof sheathing system. Oh. And they just have, it's raining. They got a moldy cooler. It's raining in the attic and, <laughs> and they go, I, I have no idea what's wrong here. And it, it's just such a, you know, I, I hate to say it, but throw what at the wall and hope it sticks. That's what we're seeing so much of is people selling people hopes and dreams. Oh, we'll fix your attic. It's got conventional insulation. We're just going to put a foot of spray foam up there. Okay. Wow. It, it, a lot, a lot. Um, building in, again, to what you said, which is a great point, building in, in damp, wet basements without deploying any type of, of countermeasures at all. No waterproofing, no, uh, you know, moisture proofing, no um, mechanical countermeasures in place, no ERVs, no dehumidification, nothing. They've just got a wet, damp 
basement and they build, they'll literally build right up against the, the foundation walls. Oh yeah. And it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. We're seeing it time and time again. It's, it's just, it's such a lack of knowledge of materials and process and protocol and maybe just the contractor stepping back and saying, I don't know exactly what I'm doing here, but I'm going to call in an expert. And yeah. Listen. Or is it money? I mean, does it come down to people just want to build on a cheap lot? That's totally damp. They're getting yeah. it cheap and they say, oh, who cares? I'll put up the house by the time two years comes and the warranty's out and the homeowners purchase this brand new property. I'm gone. What do I care? We, on the house flippers. That's a, I think that's 75 to 80% of the time. I agree. I agree. Most of the home builders I know, I think it's ignorance of the right way of doing it. That if you pulled them aside and said, Hey, you know, you're doing this wrong. This is going to be a problem. Five years later, many builders that I know would go, Oh yeah. What, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Yeah. But I think those guys want to learn much more. And I, I know I bash on us flippers, but there are good ones out yes. there just like everybody else. But there's a lot of ones on there that are just, Hey, uh, let's replace that rotted out drywall in the bottom. And uh, let's make it look pretty. I know the, the insulation behind it is uh, like a wet blanket, but let's throw some drywall up on it and get out of here. Well, it, it's it's really weird. I, you know, working hand in hand with a lot of contractors, um, there are some that push back. And now I think more than ever, there's quite a few that are super receptive to learning the right techniques and and putting their ego to the side and saying, look, I never knew that. Um, tell me what to do to do it right. I have a very, Caroline knows him. I have a very, very close friend of mine who's a, a very big contractor in New Jersey. And he's the type of guy that operates the same way we do. We operate very ethically. And we tell people, you know, our, our motto is, you know, we tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. We're not a feel-good company. We're going to give you the brass tacks. We're going to tell you what to do to get better. And he's the type of contractor. I've seen him do this. He has turned down projects just because it wasn't the right fit for him where he said, look, I want to bring my friend Jeff in here. You have a systemic mold problem in your basement. I cannot in good conscience build over these walls. You need to spend your money on correcting this problem and we'll worry about what it looks like later. Now, if more contractors did that, if they just, I didn't, I didn't say step away. I don't want anyone to ever step away from money or their business, but to step back and say, look, let's do the right thing here. Let's correct the issue before we put the lipstick on. Now, I will say that there are, there is one industry out there that I think has got a lot of snake oil in it. And that is some of these basement waterproofing system companies that um, I have run into many times that are snake oil and fear built. And they have one or two solutions. You check box A or check box B. And no matter what your problem is, it's going to be $35,000. We're going to take your money <laughs> and we're going to do it wrong. We're going to cause structural issues in your basement. And uh, here you go. It's welcome to my soapbox. I like your soapbox before Caroline probably knows this before we were um, only exclusively an environmental company. 
we started in our infancy as a waterproofing company. And we, we always got kind of mocked because we were the most expensive waterproofing company. And quite frankly, it's because again, we were doing the right thing. We were putting the correct French drains in. We were adding dehumidification systems. We were putting not only sump pumps in, but making the systems redundant, putting in hydraulic backups, battery backups, generators, whatever we needed to do to keep a basement dry and explaining to people, you can't waterproof anything, but you can channel water pretty effectively. It's controlling. So having known that and seeing what a lot of these waterproofing companies does, we've we've actually years ago had to go to court for doing the right thing. We told Mm -hmm. a client we could not install a waterproofing system in their basement. They had a spread footing. Well, what happens when you cut through spread footing? Exactly. You've now, yeah, there goes the structure. structure. We explained that to her. We withdrew her contract, refunded her money, explained what was going on during a a core sample of the footing. She actually took us to court for not cutting her basement open and potentially collapsing her home. So, Jeff, I saw one that was a, one of the franchise gutter, you know, drain systems, and I'll just leave it at that out there. I went in and the guy had been, he was on his fourth Zoller sump pump in five years, which to me tells me there's a problem. So I pop out there with the owner of this foundation company that I was helping out, popped in there and I had my Milwaukee inspection scope in the truck of my car. So I popped out and grabbed it. They had such a water intrusion issue that they had washed out below the footing in this 1920s home. And there is a 12 inch by 12 inch void under the entire foundation where it had been pushing the water through up into the gutter system. The dirt and soil was burning up the sump pumps because it was grinding it like it was sand. And so what's happened is, is the pressure on the outside walls, that tension is what's holding up the entire house. And he had, they had a 12 inch square void underneath the entire foundation where I could go in and look up and it was hollow from the water coming through there. And they were trying to control it with that system. And he's like, what do I do? I said, call an engineer and call your attorney. (laughs) He goes, what do you mean? I go, you need a new foundation in this place and you're not going to be able to fix that easily. So many times we're hit with that. And what you said was, was spot on call an engineer. I, I, I tell my staff all the time, the one thing you do know is what you don't know. And you've got to push your ego to the side. And, you know, even clients were, listen, we don't have the answers to anything. Sometimes we've got to step back and, and say, look, before we even get involved, before we do anything, get yourself a good engineer involved, get the waterproofing issues corrected, get get your roofing system corrected. Your, your ridge has three inches of deflection in it. There's something going on there. Stepping back and saying, we don't want to be involved, but- we're going to point you in the right direction to get you the help you need before we get involved. I mean, that's. And even, and even sometimes Jeff, like I have to bring engineers in just because I've got to prove a point. I've got to go up against an HVAC company who in a lead house has structured it so that the moisture control is impossible. And the client saying, what do you mean? I spent $50,000 on the system. Why is it not working appropriately? And what do you, what right do I have to say as an indoor air quality professional that the HVAC is wrong? So I have to bring up 
mechanical engineer in to back up my point just because it for legal reasons. Yeah. Even though we know. I say keep people in your quiver that are smarter than you are. That's. Amen to that. Yes. You, you have to, I mean, again, it's why we bring in IEPs. It's why we bring in environmental engineers and, and, and structural engineers and mechanical engineers and, you know, I, I tell my clients all the time, a HVAC installer is much different than a mechanical engineer. You know, you've got mm-hmm. to be able to do heat loss calculations and, and, and volume and cubic feet per minute calculations. It's, it's not as easy as most people make it out to be. So again, a lot of times it's us stepping back and, you know, with, again, the, the, the franchise companies that are, you know, very diversified, um, they want to sell. They want to get in. They want to get in, get on, and get out with no regard for the client or if it's going to have any, you know, positive impact on the client's environment or their well-being. We always say, look, let's slow the process down. We know you've been mm-hmm. dealing this, you know, with this for some time. It's our policy to slow the process down, allow you time to have an understanding of what's going on in your home, the people that are going to be involved, the the financial constraints of your project. And we kind of take that and bridge all of that together. And that's how we design and develop our projects is it, it is not just mold remediation. It is home wellness. It is creating that, that sanctuary, that safe haven for our clients. That's the most important part of our business. Jeff, I always say that, and you're so dead on and this is one of my biggest warning signs that you've got the wrong basement contractor in. If They've shown up for the first meeting. They're presenting you a price that they just calculated out real quick. And if there's a 20% off or 30% off or 40% off sale because you signed the day, that should be your warning Yep. to tap the brakes a little bit. Because uh, I tell you what, uh, we have that problem in our area here where we got one big company out there that uh, it is the full on high pressure sales tactic. There's been no testing done nothing's happened. Nobody understands the problem. And you got a salesperson in your, in your house trying to get a $30,000 check out of you. That I agree with. Um, it's, it's very. Jeff, talk a little bit about your auto, your, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but while you're going to talk on this topic, there's a, there's a, um, you're using this new system too, when you're going out to do estimates. I was telling Eric about it a little bit. Remember when we were talking about how you guys are doing estimates in an automated process? Yeah. Like just so if you could tell him a little bit about it. So if I explained it right. Years ago we had, we were writing in, in, in such an antiquated, archaic way. It, it was horrible. Um, we were going out and doing estimates, you know, essentially taking the data that someone like Caroline would provide. We were printing it out in long form and yep walking through the project and taking notes, writing notes. And it was taking us, the, the biggest problem was just clients not getting their proposal fast enough. They're saying, sure. well, look, it's it's been a week. And you're like, man, I'm still interpreting Caroline's data or whoever the IEP is. I'm still putting together all the, the project parameters and square footage and where I'm going to put the dumpster. And my, my partner gets on the phone with me one day and he goes, you know what we need? I'm like, what? He's like, we need software, Jeff. I was like, amen. (laughs) Okay. So it's probably, we rolled it out soft probably two years ago. We rolled it out hard a year ago and it's still evolving. Um, It always will be. It always will be. Yeah. So 
essentially what this allows us to do is it, it takes our clients, it enters them uh, into the software. It's all their data, everything we need, their mold report, their contact information, every piece of pertinent information we can need about that client. It even takes a um, survey that we ask our clients to fill out and incorporates that data as well. So we have a better understanding of the client's expectations prior to the project involvement. We go out, we can pre-build most of the estimate in the software based off the consultant's report before we even get to the job site. Perfect. So when we get out to the job site, we now have the ability, it's all um, web-based. We now have the ability to just touch key points. So um, is it a complete cosmetic removal of the office? Yes or no? Yes. Um, How many square feet is the office? Uh, 150. Okay. Uh, How many guys? How many days? Uh, Two for three. Okay. And enter. And it's done. Prior to that, all the specifics that someone like Caroline wrote that this needs to be done, we should do this, 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 they're all entered in prior to me even getting there. And once that gets kicked out to the client, what's really cool is, again, this is where we slowed the process down. We can now present the client with an estimate based off that software and in real time on their follow-up call, it allows us to modify their project parameters. So we could say, look, according to the consultant, these five spots are your needs. These three spots are your wants. If, you know, as per our professional recommendation, based on your financial constraints, we would recommend at this time focusing on the primary drivers or the needs. And in real time, we can take the secondary drivers completely off their proposal, represent them a proposal within seconds instead of even minutes or days. Nice. It's very, very exciting. Very exciting. And that's a game changer. And what's cool is too, is when you get into software like that, you can sit there as somebody in the field and go, this project was a lot like Mrs. Smith's project six months ago. And let me go back and look at Mrs. Smith's project and see what her absolute end of the project numbers were. That's a really good point. Um, the cool point about field interaction with the software is once a proposal is generated and the client accepts it uh, remotely or virtually, they accept the contract, mm-hmm. it turns the contract into a work order. The whole work order is digital. Before the yep. work order even takes place, it lets our entire field staff know every piece of equipment material and consumable that they'll need for that project. Once they check all that material off, it then generates their work order for the project. As that project progresses and they check their line items off and the foreman co-witnesses that check off that the line item is correctly performed, it slides a scale automatically on a percentage of completion for the project so we can follow it remotely from anywhere. See? That's beautiful. It's a Hey, Jeff, we are running out of time today. We are blasting through this hour here. Um, first off, how forever. do people track you down? Yeah, we could make this a three-hour <laughs> show, but Rogan's got that cornered. Uh, <laughs> I love Rogan. What's the best way to people to find you, find the company, all that different stuff? What's the best way for people to do that? Honestly, the, the best source of information for all of our clients is our website. It's uh, www.allamericanrestoration.com. And it is, uh, it not only explains who we are, our core values, 
there is a, a wealth of information about uh, mold, mold-related illness, um, mold toxicity, um, different projects we've done, and it also incorporates our entire staff. So you get a full view of who we are and what we do. Yeah, and just a touch that when people look out, you know, and I don't want to bash any of the commercial grade remediation companies, of but course. I just want you to know that not all mold remediation companies are equal. And there are a lot of companies out there that are doing, have a big name and you hear about them all over as being the place to go. If you have a water intrusion problem, it's not true. So you really need to do your due diligence Correct. and realize not all these companies no. are the same. No. If you really are interested in doing it right, reach out to someone like All American Restoration. And there's other good companies out there as well. There but are. you really need to make sure you're with a legitimate company. That's correct. Even if the name's big. You know what I mean? Just because the name's there and they've got a broad-based following, that doesn't mean they're doing it right. Agreed. No question. Jeff, thanks for coming on today, man. Thank you, guys. We're going to so have you well. on again. We'll do another deep dive. It's awesome. been really <laughs> awesome. Thank you for having me. It's been great. All right. Well, I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the, the House. House. Hey, it's Eric G. from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand-molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.